we've got to return discipleship to the, the center and the core of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is actually what Jesus is doing when I hear and I talk with different church leaders around the place at the moment. It seems like um, this is what God's up to in the world, in the Western world in particular. Mm-hmm. He's restoring the way of Jesus mm-hmm. to the heart of the church. And I'm really encouraged by that. I think it's a really hopeful and, and something I'm excited about. Yeah. Well, kia ora, and welcome to the Redemptive Family Podcast, where we've been looking at simple, uh, effective, fun, relational ways of how we do church together, and really answering the question of why, you know, putting that all-important question of why we do church back at the forefront where it belongs. Well, hi, I'm Steve Hooper, and again, it's my privilege to be hosting this series uh, for you. Now, the title of the series, as you've probably seen, is Help, My Church is Shrinking. And I think that's a, a statement that the Love Your Neighbour team have heard a number of times over several years of their experience with church. So if you're listening in and you're thinking, gosh, that's me, then we have a truckload of hope to give you a brighter future uh, as you long to find some ideas of how to make your church thrive. Well, with me again, as always, in the studio is my good old friend and colleague, Howard Webb. G'day, Howard. Hi there, Steve. How are you doing today? Really good, thank you. Good, good, good. And um, now, as well as a highly acclaimed coffee connoisseur, uh, if, if you live in Auckland and you're looking for a place for good coffee, Howard is your man. Look him up. And also joining us in the studio today is uh, Clint Usher, all the way from uh, Christchurch. Welcome, Clint. Good to have you here. Yeah, kia ora. Great to be here. And flying up this morning. Yeah, that's the one. Good yep. flight. Good flight, good Fantastic. coffee. Oh, good coffee. There you go. <laughs> that's great. Howard, can you give me some tips? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Clint. It's good to have you in the studio. Now, Clint is married, uh, two teenage girls, I understand. Correct. Uh, he is the pastor of a church at The Well mm-hmm. in Christchurch. Fantastic name. I love that. You know, I think digging deep, you know, the, the living water, that sort of thing. Yeah. There's some great names of churches at the moment, yeah, isn't there? John chapter 4. That's the, that's the namesake and the, ah. the heart of the... The church, yeah. Oh, very good. Born and raised in Queensland, Australia. Now, we won't hold that against you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Now, are, are you a rugby fan? Uh, do you, what, what team do you support? Oh, look, i got to be honest with you. not a huge rugby fan, so I'm very happy to support the All Blacks because I did not grow up at all watching the Wallabies at all. So I'm very happy to support the All Blacks. Oh, there you go. Good traction yeah, for yeah. our Kiwi listeners. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Different story when it comes to cricket, though. Um, oh, okay. Oh, we'll yeah. stick with the All Blacks for rugby. Fair enough. Actually... <laughs> Uh, Australia is not even a rugby nation, is it? They have so many more sports that they're good at, whereas, you know, us Kiwis, but there we go. And uh, now it. tell me a bit, a bit of a keen runner, I understand. Now, the, 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 the Master Faster Pastor <laughs> Award that you were given from a radio station. Tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, a few years ago, the Morning Wake Up crew on Life FM ran a competition uh, where they, you know, put it out and they said, hey, we want to find the fastest pastor in New Zealand. <laughs> I didn't even know that was and, a thing. Yeah, I didn't know it was a thing either. And uh, I don't listen to Life FM much, but uh, yeah. a bunch of people in our church tagged me on Facebook and they were like, oh, Clint, you should, you should give this a nudge. Awesome. And it worked in my favor that I just turned 40 three months before the competition. Oh, the so it clicked me over yeah. into the master's category. So I think I had a bit of a shoe in there. You know? <laughs> well done. <laughs> the youngest master. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Well done and great to have you here, Clint. Yeah, so thanks for here. joining us. So the title of this episode is How We Help Make Disciples of Each Other. So Howard, as we've done in the past, maybe give us some context and frame the question for us. What we've seen so far is, is that we inherited a model of church from Christendom really, which is um, really focused on liturgy and worship. And we need both of those things. They are great things to have. But it's easy to kind of obscure the fact that the most important thing about us coming together is 
um, that our most precious resource is each other. Mm. Yeah, and so we need some each other time when we gather. Our liturgy needs to include generous time for intentional conversation, you know, not just a nominal little two minutes and chat to the person next to you and ask about their week or something, but time that's built in where we can really get to know each other and really start uh, getting down to the guts of who we are and why we're here. Mm. So the most important thing that we need to ask is, you know, how are we doing uh, individually and as a church, um, how are we going in fulfilling our God-given purpose? Because if we, if we keep asking that question, we have to keep growing and moving forward. Mm. So forging a community that truly loves and ministers to each other is critical to all of us to grow as disciples. And, of course, this naturally extends out into mission as well, because if that's our posture with each other, then it's our posture towards the world as well. So the two become sort of a bit of a seamless whole. And this, this, I think, is what a people-loving, disciple-making church looks like. We love people. We care about each other. We care about the people in God's world, too. And so uh, once we recognize that the best thing we have to offer, both to each other and to our world, is ourselves, mm-hmm. when we just recognize this is what we're actually offering, then we become that community of faith. We become that uh, kingdom of God outpost in the place where God is planted us, and that's when we can really shine and do what God's called us to do. So last time we told the story of church at one to six and just how much, how we reserve so much time for conversation and hospitality. And and as those not yet Christians come along and they're part of us in our service, um, it actually sharpens our act. It reminds us of the why. Why are we here? We, we're here to to grow God's kingdom here. Mm. And so um, we spend less time on, you know, inconsequential stuff. And we find ourselves really kind of focusing on what's the gospel? What needs to be said here? Who do we need to be in this context? It makes us better people. And and it really helps us grow as disciples too. So today we're going to explore how the church family helps make disciples of each other, especially in the small group context. And and that's why we invited Clint along on the show, because back in the day, seven years ago, just when we were starting, uh, we got Clint to come over and tell us all about life transformation groups. And, mm-hmm. and, that's right. Uh, and, and we just really took that on board. And we don't call them life transformation groups anymore. We call them growth groups in our context. But they've become um, the biggest engine of our disciple-making process um, in our church Context and so we're just thrilled to have Clint along on on the show to 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 share some of his wisdom on the subject. Mm, I mean that's fantastic. I mean Clint, you planted a church on your own. Was it ten years ago? Um, I'm sure you've learned some stories or have some experiences in the disciple making process yourself. Maybe share some of those with us. What have you learned in the process? Yeah, it's a good question, and and I think. Um I love the way you described it as the greatest gift that we have to offer one another is ourselves. And I would maybe just add the layer of not just ourselves as we are, mm. but ourselves as we're becoming increasingly yes. like Christ. Yeah. Um, and so, well, you know, when we think about discipleship in particular, I love Robert Mulholland has a definition in his book, um, An Invitation to a Journey, where he describes discipleship as a process. It's a four-part definition. So it's a process of being formed into the image of Christ 
for the sake of others. So those are the four parts. So he says it's a process, meaning it's something that we go into and we journey through and we continue to, uh, uh, it's a process um, of being formed. So the, so the process requires some intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. Of them being formed, meaning it's expected will change. It's expected will grow and will and, and will mature. Not into our own selves or our own end or whatnot, but that the the growth is towards the end of being like Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, you know, so that's the goal. That's the, the kind of the telos or the end point is that we become increasingly like Jesus, not so that we can all sit around in a holy huddle and pat ourselves on the back and feel good about each other. <laughs> Sing kumbaya. You know, no, 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 but for the sake of others, for the sake of the world, that we could be literally Jesus' hands and feet. Mm. Um, and his presence here on earth. So um, that's shaped a lot of, um, I think, our discipling in terms of, you know, what, what we've been pursuing at the well. We recognize, you know, we're, we, our church is named after that story in John chapter 4, the encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan mm. woman at the well. And um, just, you know, that shapes so much of who we are. And so we we regularly say around our place, you know, we're not the living water. We're not the source of the living water, but we know where to find it. Yeah. And our role is just to help other people find it and help, help lead as many people as we can to access and find that living water of Christ. So we talk about, you know, discipleship is, that's that's fully formed and, and fully matured includes that outward focus to say it's not just about us and our own formation, but it's for the sake of others and for the mm-hmm. sake of the world that our our being in and with Christ might overflow in our doing for mm-hmm. Jesus, yeah. um, and and the, and do not doing for doing with Jesus. Yes. Actually, it's His ministry, it's His mission, right? It's His church, um, and we just get to participate and join in what He is doing in and around the world. So, um, so we we've done, you know, we've our pro, our approach to you know that discipleship process has been, yeah, we've put some structure. And, and some different elements around it. But some of the best ways that we've seen people come to know Jesus, which is in a lot of ways part of the discipling process, I think, mm-hmm. has been the result of people living out of the overflow of Christ in them. So there's this uh, older retired couple in our church. They're not that old, um, but they're you know <laughs> retired. And and um, we we had the opportunity to collect bread, you know, day old bread from a bakery around the, you know just over the back from our church. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they go pick it up, and then they'd go and distribute it a couple of um, social housing areas, communities right close by the mm-hmm. church. They go distribute it and, you know, at first it was just a, here's some free bread. But after a couple of months of them showing up and doing this on the regular, people got to know them a wee bit more, entered into some conversation, you know, they'd, they'd, uh, and, and after a couple of months, you know, even be willing, you know, they'd offer prayer and people would be willing to say, yeah, actually I could, I could use some prayer. Great. Well, after about, maybe after about a year of doing this and journeying on this, I think they've seen five or six people that they've since invited along to church and have come to faith in Christ mm-hmm. as a result of that journey from those from those two, um, you know, kind of social housing communities um, near us. And so, you know, I love that that's um, people taking missional responsibility for a place, for their patch, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just an overflow of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've we've tried to just resource and encourage and equip people as much as possible to live out, the things that God's mm. doing in and through them. Mm. Oh, that's great. You know, the thing I like about that is a lot of people may say, oh, I'm not cut out for discipleship. I don't have those skills. I don't have the strength. I, anybody can hand out bread, right? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and right. And look at the results you've had and just building relationships into people and doing something practical that is meeting a need and people are saying, wow, who are these people? I want to get to know them. Oh, do they seem like they're not that weird? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good. Yeah. A couple of um, episodes ago, we heard the phrase, it takes a church family 
um, to make disciples, sort of implying that you know it's a side by side influencing rather than a, a top down um, discipleship. Now I'm sure you guys can both speak into that, but maybe Clint, do you want to anything you can share on on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's beautiful and really really good. I mean, the New Testament talks about you know uh, that life on life kind of approach to discipleship, where you know I think it's is it in Hebrews where it talks about as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, and I think that's um, a beautiful part of that developing close connection with one another mm-hmm. so that even though there's a bit of rub and a bit of friction from time to time, it's actually for the purpose of us becoming increasingly like Jesus, yeah. that we would know what it means to be with him in close intimacy and and, uh, and 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 become increasingly like him so that we might do the things that he would do if he was mm-hmm. in our shoes, you know, if mm-hmm. he was living in our, our neighborhood. And um, uh, But but one, one of the things that I, I think is, is important to consider in this um, is is the role of, you know, if we talk about family, uh, uh, and, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, just the role of spiritual mothers and fathers mm. in that role of family and discipling. Well, it's not like a top down and because it's less about knowledge and information transfer. You know, I think pretty convinced now that that doesn't result in transformation. That doesn't <laughs> result in the kinds of change and depth of change that we want to see. Um, but if we want to see things that are lived out, like spiritual mothers and fathers, I, I think about, you know, it was around the house with my mom and dad where I learned what, you know, how to do the dishes well. Mm. I learned how to take responsibility and, you know, as much as I hated it, how to tidy up my room and fold my clothes and put them away. And, you know, these <laughs> kinds of things, you know, it's not just all about behavior, but it's about a way of being, a way of doing life. And I think there's a beautiful opportunity within the body of Christ mm. for spiritual mothers and fathers who don't just tell information, but model a way of life mm-hmm. uh, for, for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that, um, and that's a lovely picture. Mm. That that's awesome. I think um, I think there's a there's a model and understanding of discipleship in the world which is quite individualistic, and uh, I know growing up and and you know through the, through my years in ministry, two Timothy two two has kind of been a bit of a oh, standard yeah. verse about classic yeah. about making disciples and and of course Paul is saying to Timothy everything you know you've spent a lot of time with me and everything that you've learned from me I want you to entrust that to uh, you know to some responsible people so that they can teach others and mm. I want you to just take that verse in abstract um it looks like a very individualistic thing it does look like a bit of a top down yeah. thing uh you know stuff, you know, you're kind of the spiritual superior and then there's other person who's a spiritual inferior and you kind of pour into him until he's full and then he goes off and does mm. the same same thing. And when you, the problem with that picture is that where's the church in that? Mm. The church kind of recedes into the background. Church becomes even unnecessary. And I, I don't think, I don't think Paul, when he wrote Second. Timothy ever imagined a churchless discipleship program, right? Mm. Uh, I think what he's really saying in that verse is, Timothy, you're the leader of a church. You have responsibility for the church that you're leading, and you've spent a lot of time with me. There's no Bible at this time, right? Um, I I expect you to do the responsible thing here. You need to share everything you've learned from me and make sure they're able to share it with with others. But there's not the context remains the church. You know, we look at Ephesians four, mm. and uh, and I feel like this is more the model of discipleship that the that Scripture really speaks of. And so, 
in Ephesians 4, we see everyone's got a, a particular gift, a particular spiritual thing. And when we, and it's all for the benefit of the body. And when we all come together and we do what we've been gifted to do, we end up equipping each other for good works, it mm. says, yes. and for maturity in Christ. And, you know, the equipping for good works and maturity in Christ, that is, that's the best definition of discipleship I can think of, mm. really. And so I feel like that side by side, the body helping each other grow stronger, um, I feel like that really is the New Testament model of how a discipleship is supposed to work. Mm. Mm. Oh, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, good definition, and uh, yeah, those those things tie in so beautifully. But I know you guys, um, you're both passionate about the particular values of you know small groups or clusters, maybe as you call them, of discipleship. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, or maybe what you've seen in your context? Well, this this was kind of where we first connected, wasn't That's it? Right, Around exactly. uh, you know growth groups, as you call them. Um, you know, they're, they're these beautiful – What part of the beauty of them is that they don't actually require a leader. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple uh, model and approach centered around reading the same scripture text together, a uh, set of accountability questions that are the same each time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you can customize those a little bit so you can get quite personal on um, – and, and, again, accountability, not in the sense of we want to we want to beat you up and restrict you, but actually <laughs> accountability so that you can – we all need different – forms yeah. of structure and support in order for us to grow, that we would pray for each other. So that's the third piece, so scripture, accountability, and then that we would pray for each other, but also for those uh, who are in our um, sphere or in our orbit of influence, those that, who we're praying for to see come to know Christ. Um, and so then it becomes a bit of a shared journey too mm. um, with those people because, you know, I've been in, in groups where, you know, we've been praying for someone for 18 months or whatnot, and finally they accept an invitation to come along and it's like, <laughs> oy, we all feel like winners, you yeah. know, when that happens That's because good. we've all been on that journey of praying for yeah. that person. Um, and, and uh, you know, so I think that's been that's been really transformative in my own personal life, but also uh, in, in our church. And we see we've, we've had, um, we've it's kind of gone in waves, if I'm honest, you know, mm. uh, growth groups at the mm. well, um, had seasons where they're like, Going gangbusters and then others, but we're in a season right now where it's they're they're, they're kind of multiplying quickly, um, and and so they stay quite small, two to three people. The minute you add a fourth person, it's considered you're kind of pregnant, ready to multiply. Um, so if people want to discover and learn more about that, Neil Cole, I think, was the original one who started talking about it under the language of life transformation groups. Yeah. Mm. So. so our growth groups, the same there thing. There you go. Same um, thing. Yeah. You know, has really been just such a fundamental part of. Um, of the growth and deepening of the people that come along to church at one to six. Now, to be honest, we found that the ladies have really embraced this well. Ah, um, interesting. Um, <laughs> our guys, not so very much. Um, we have a few guys groups, but um, I. Why do you w- think that is? I don't know. I think. Uh, I think kind of ladies, uh, the thought of tight intimacy is like really appealing to them, yeah, yeah. right? And guys are like, <laughs> now let's know, go do something. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. play cricket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it sounds a bit intense for guys. Yeah, but the reality is, so um, I lead a, a growth group every Thursday Thursday morning with two interesting guys with really checkered pasts, um, and. It's such a great enriching time, and even though I'm the the long long standing Christian, mm. and the, you know, they are teaching me all mm. the time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, 
and actually just seeing the world fresh through their eyes, you know, seeing the journey, you just get all excited mm. all over again. Mm. And so I would say if you're a guy, you know, give this a go because yeah. uh, it's just, it's not threatening. No. Um, and we, we have to let people into our lives if we are going to grow. Mm. Yeah. Um, because we have to get honest about what's really happening for us and where our hangups are and we need support. We yeah. need help. And wanting to be this kind of lone ranger who's kind of out there just struggling <laughs> against the odds like a real man, um, you're actually losing out. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and life could be so much richer yeah. if you just kind of embrace this stuff. I that think can be uh, the, you carry on, Clint. Well, I, I was just gonna, I was just gonna add to that. I know of a guy who leads a church um, down in the Hawkes Bay, where he, in um, his discipleship kind of key group, part of their key focus is developing a regular rhythm of daily devotional practices, and that's where some of the accountability, you know, beds in for them. Mm. And so, with guys in particular, one fun thing they did just to try and like energize it a little bit was they gamified it. You know, there's no actual like reward for this, but they give out Bible points, you know? Cool. <laughs> so they give out Bible points for someone who's done really well. Someone's having a good week. That's like, oh, 100 Bible points for you, mate. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. something kind of fun Sweet. like that. You yeah. Know, doesn't actually mean anything or count for anything. Yes. But it's just a bit of fun. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, that's great. That's, I love that, Clint. I mean, yeah, you're right, Howard. I mean, it's, small groups, not a bit threatening for some people, but, you know, don't knock it until you've tried it. Yes. And um, unless we've experienced it, sometimes we don't get the benefits or the yeah, just the value out of those small groups. Mm. But as we talk about discipleship, you know, we probably having been involved in the church, we're all familiar with, you know, pretty much Christ's last words or his commission to his disciples when he left was go make disciples, mm. you know, out of, and, and he talked about where you are and then into the whole world. Now, most of these 11 guys he's talking to have never been outside of Israel. Maybe all of them had never been outside of Israel. So it's almost like this massive task uh, and they're thinking, gosh, I'm, that's too hard for me. I'm going to call in sick. But mm. it, at the end, he he promises, you know, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. So we're not doing it alone, but we're also, as you've talked about, we're not doing it on our own. No. So it's not an individual thing. It's it's part of a, a group. Now, most churches, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing in the majority of churches would have small groups. And maybe they're Bible studies or maybe they're small group relational things or um, yeah, but what would you say to those sort of guys, the small groups that you, you're talking about? Yeah, I would say um, two things. I would say the first is um, genuine growth in maturing in Christ requires more than, you know, if like the, like you described, Bible study groups, the, the drift or the, the, the um, I think the tendency to be aware or concerned about there is that mm. they drift into information-based only. Mm all about just accumulating more knowledge. Um, and there's that old saying throughout, you know, church leadership circles quite often where it says that most Christians in the West are actually, you know, 600 Bible verses overweight or whatnot. You know, they know more <laughs> than they're living out yeah. is, is the kind of what's 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 uh, implied by that. Um, and so that's the drift and the danger with those where it becomes just about information and not about embodying. Then there's those other ones that become more little more than just a friendship circle or a social club. And, and look, both of these are necessary parts i think of mm. the journey in 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 um in maturing in christ we need one another mm. um it's real easy to act godly be patient and kind and loving and all those good things if you're on your own it's a lot harder to actually live those out in community <laughs> in, in context with other people right <laughs> that's right um so i think the 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 importance of um 
leaning into that with with a few other pieces. And I found the accountability thing is really, really critical in that. And I think the other thing that's interesting to note here is um, this, I'm not quite sure what the dynamics are. Maybe it's um, some unfamiliarity or pushing out of your comfort zone kind of thing. But I did some research, this is going back quite some time ago, into, you know, small groups and these kinds of things and discovered they actually, in terms of their growth, um, the the spiritual growth and maturity, actually it showed a bit of a life cycle whereby most small groups, when they start, they kick in quite quickly into a growth um, kind of trend and the you know spiritual growth is going up. And then at about the 18-month to two-year mark, that begins to kind of level off. Mm. And it begins to plateau, and that's because people at that point are getting quite comfortable with each other. They know one another, you know, all that kind of thing. And then after about three years or so, it actually the spiritual growth curve starts to decline. And so, um, what the research was showing was that actually it's important at that point, you know, when when you're in that plateau or before you hit the decline, or if you're in the decline, it just gets harder and harder to mm-hmm. kick out of it. But um, but to actually change things up change up the makeup of a group. So I encourage, you know, actually, I know it's like countercultural because we think you get in a group, you kind of commit to it, and this is this is me until Jesus comes, you know. <laughs> um, but it's actually, it's not always the most healthy and maturing thing for us that sometimes we need to embrace change is a good dynamic to change. So whether you change up the group dynamic from time to time, you know, after every two years or so, or I don't I don't know, you know, like yes. different things like that are important to factor in, I think, in yeah. that space. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, you said it. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So what I'm, what I'm hearing from both of you is in these clusters within your church or these groups that are happening, it's not just for the individual group. It's really for the church as a whole, as a wider um, group. Would that mm. be fair? So, um. Yeah, have you got some experiences or stories you can share that sort of speak to that? Yeah, so, yeah, let me just speak about how we see it working for us. So um, our church has discipleship and mission as high values we speak about it. Our Sunday is very much about that. So we kind of take our Sunday values into our growth groups. There isn't a disconnect between what we talk about on Sunday and what we talk about in a growth group. Mm. So that helps. And then what happens in the growth groups can feed back into Sunday Mm. so easily because we're still speaking the same language. And so we end up enriching our body life together because what happens in the small groups that can be spoken about, because, of course, there's confidentiality and stuff in there too, but what can be spoken about out the growth groups and certainly the answers to prayer, certainly the people who are invited and ended up coming we can all celebrate that to, to, together. So the growth groups are feeding into our body life as a corporate church body. Um, some of the good stuff, the excitement, what they're learning from from Scripture, the answers to prayer, the people that they're inviting, and here they are. So that's just a really exciting dynamic. Mm. But because we've got the shared leadership happening in our growth groups, it's not just one person doing all the download. We're actually growing leaders. We're actually growing people who are more confident at leading a group, more confident at speaking about the scripture that they've Mm. studied this last week. And so they're becoming more confident as we speak at our tables because, of course, we sit around tables. But they become more confident as table hosts to actually lead the conversation that's happening at our tables on Sunday. And so – they're more willing to be transparent. They're more willing to take steps of faith. And so the growth groups are are the engine – little incubation station where kind of all of this is kind of happening. Mm. Um, and because our groups are not forever groups and we regularly re- reform them every six months to 
to a year. Oh, I do. Okay. Over, over time, you've been in a growth group with a number of people sitting there in church, and you've yeah. got to know those people quite intimately because you've been in a growth group with them. And so these bonds of relationship and friendship over time across the church body just become amazing. Wow. They just become really strong. We really are a family. Yeah. You know, it's not just words. It's not just spiritual. We wish we yeah, were. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes really intensely real. That's cool. So it's and not like this little click of just these three people who stick together and that's mm. us for eternity. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's real exactly life happening right. every, yeah, every Sunday, good. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's right. So Lynette's a keen gardener, my wife, mm-hmm. and, uh, she likes to think of it as little microclimates in the garden. You know, there's this little spot where it's a bit shady, doesn't get a lot of sun, and the right kind of plants have to be planted here. And, and uh, you know, this, this kind of other place, plenty of sun, you know, probably need to make sure it gets some water and, mm. and stuff. So, I mean, different people have different needs, and we're also different. Mm. And so each of our growth groups ends up having a, a special, unique character because of the people who happen to be in it at the time. But... By kind of tending to the little, to the little microclimates, when you step back, you, you end up having a beautiful garden because, because all of those spots in the garden are all flourishing, and so the garden is beautiful mm. as a result of that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Nice analogy. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful analogy. I guess we would we would talk about it more in terms of um, creating a discipling culture um, that just. Is pervasive throughout all of uh, what we do at the well. You know, our, our one of our main aims, uh, you know, primary aims, is that we are forming people deeply uh, in the ways of Jesus. That they're becoming increasingly like Him, and um, that that just pervades then everything we do. So when we're in worship, and when we're in groups, and when we're you know throughout the week, and when we're in prayer, and this is kind of what's at the core. Because we think we, we, I'm convinced that. We can build great disciples who are, you know, well-formed, deeply mature. Mm. That's the greatest opportunity for seeing mm. more of God's kingdom come here on earth. And mm. and so, you know, we have um, we we've been on a journey. Uh, recently, been been uh, deeply impacted by Pete Scazzaro's work on emotionally healthy discipleship. So he's got, you know, this is a two-part course where it's around, you know, uh, emotionally healthy, um, you know, loving God, which is all around emotionally healthy spirituality, um, and then loving others. You know these two great commandments from the scriptures, of, mm-hmm. and then he he plays that out in terms of emotionally healthy relationships. So we're learning um, some helpful relational skills that are loving one to another, and so that we can relate well with one another from a discipling context, mm-hmm. um, and then throughout our discipleship part. So we have some consistent threads that kind of carry through our entire discipleship pathway that kind of feed into those things. So, you know, we're, do, we're taking a bit of a different approach to, um, you know, ch- uh, church at 126, but um, but it's similar similar in the sense of this, we've got to return discipleship to the, the center and the core of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is actually what Jesus is doing when I hear and I talk with different church leaders around the place at the moment. It seems like um, this is what God's up to in the world, in the Western world in particular. Mm-hmm. He's restoring the way of Jesus, the, dis- the discipleship as core function mm-hmm. to the heart of the church. And I'm really encouraged by that. I think it's a really hopeful mm-hmm. um, and, and something I'm excited about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, this is good stuff. I mean, I've I've seen that happening too. I, yeah. mean, I think there's been a resurgence around what are the core values of why we do church, and that's exactly what we're talking about. But one of the aims mm-hmm. of this uh, podcast series in particular 
is looking at maybe smaller churches who maybe had 100 people attending regularly at one stage, and now they've sort of dwindled down to 30. Now, we've asked all of our guests, special guests on the show, um, what advice or, or encouragement or hope could you share with people who maybe are in that situation, Clint? Oh, I think I'd share exactly that. I'd say, mm. you know, um, to be encouraged. Mm. You know, God is on the move. He is doing things. Absolutely. Jesus is restoring uh, his church. And, and, and the way of Jesus being centered at the, start, at the, at the, at the core of the church, I, I see it happening all over. So, you know, this depth of formation and discipleship that outflows in mission and, and prayer that's, you know, I see, I see a, a, a growing hunger for prayer, for a genuine transcendent move of God. That, mm. that, you know, that's not like hyped up and overblown, but it's heartfelt and it's genuine. Genuine. Uh, I just see these things bubbling up all over the place, and it really encourages me. And and that's that's uh, you know when you start to see you know when the tide starts to rise, it lifts all boats, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the rising tide lifts yeah. all boats. And that's I just good. think I, I get that that instills a lot of hope for me. And so I'd encourage you, you know, if, if you're if you're in that um, uh, context, then I would say, you know. Obviously, something needs to change. You know, like we need to we need to shift some things. We need to do some things differently. And I would I would challenge you to consider what are those things that need to shift in order to place discipleship right at the center of who you are as a church community, um, and 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 to have some real honest conversations around that, to 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 bring those and and to wait on the Lord together in that space and see what He might speak to and reveal what new things might come to light. Um, that would be my that would be my encouragement. And and in the midst of all of that, you know, just keeping in mind, like focus on Christ, keep your eyes fixed on him like he is the prize he is the goal and he is the reward um and and i think that's you know so i'd encourage you but i'd also in that um i think making those changes i think we're seeing um a lot a lot to be encouraged by and hopeful for in terms of revitalization churches that have been in decline are turning around and um and god is at at work and and i think it's those where i'm seeing that happen is when they're placing that discipleship mm. right at the core, mm-hmm. right at the center of who they are, and then reorganizing mm. everything they do around that mm. um, to make that truly the priority. Mm. And But I will add one caveat, if that's okay. Um, yeah. One caveat uh, <laughs> around this. you know, As you wait on the Lord and you discern in that space, I think it's helpful to also like it, just acknowledge on, on, on the table in conversation that God may lead you to say, actually, this is really encouraging. This podcast has been great, and we got lots of ideas. But if we're if we're real honest, we look around the table and we just don't have the vision. We just don't have the energy. We we just we're just not convinced that God's leading us to pursue something new and into that kind of revitalization, new change kind of space. And that's okay. Like it's you know maybe maybe this is this is an invitation from God to consider what it might look like to wind up. Um, I know that's 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 like that's a harsh thing to consider, but yeah, maybe yeah. God's God's it, God's hand is in that, and and He's and He's inviting a, a church maybe to consider ways they might resource and like reseed something new. I I like I have a, 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 in mind. I heard an example uh, a couple of years ago of a church where this was exactly their story. They were down to about thirty, forty people, mm. and um and they they realized we just don't have you know. Emphasis. We don't have the 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 leadership. We don't have the you know the vision for something new. They were asset rich, cash poor, you know, kind of a yeah. situation. But they looked just down the street, and there was a young church plant down just down the street that they go well. But they seem to have vision, and 
They seem to be reaching into our community. They seem to, you know, God seems to be, work, you know, with them. And they, they weren't even the same denomination. So I don't even know that this stuff was allowed in the kingdom of God, but it is, it turns out. So what they ended up doing was they wound up their church. They, they, I think um, they didn't sell their assets. They invited the church to come and take over wow. the property um, and all that as a way of resourcing this church plant. And about half of the people stayed on and just joined that church. The other half left and, uh, uh, you know, went to other places. And, you know, this is normal stuff again, you know. So, of course, there's grief and loss in that but it's not all loss mm. because out of that and then now there's this flourishing church you know almost like a standing on the shoulders of those faithful people in that community mm. who said well hey look god's been good to us and how might we now resource what god is wanting to do for the future for our children for our grandchildren um and and for those you know in the community long long beyond and that i don't know those kind of mm. stories i find mm really encouraging like that's inspiring mm. stuff for me mm. um you know not to not to not to be dismissive of the pain and the mm. and the grief that goes along with a journey like that but to also acknowledge that actually part of that is the cruciform way of Christ that oftentimes we're called to sacrifice and we're called to you know the cruciform way of Christ is that downward slope of you know Jesus was tortured you know mm. he was rejected he he was crucified mm. and he died and then he rose again mm. Um, and I wonder if maybe that's part of the story that God's wanting to write through mm. some churches all over the place. Mm. Wise words. Take Thank hope. You. Yeah. 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 So what you're saying is the church is going to withstand forever until Jesus comes back. That doesn't oh, yeah. necessarily mean one little individual church on a corner. It, it might be better for them to resource into somewhere else and, and, and grow that way and, and be better and more effective for the kingdom. Yeah, as God yeah. would lead. And yeah, that can as be an God encouragement. Would lead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Howie, so maybe someone's listening in and they've heard the stories that you guys have been sharing and they're thinking, you know, hypothetically speaking, maybe they're thinking, um, if there was one resource that I could, you know, get my hands on mm. that could help, you know, us to get our whole church on the same page and, and, and revision us to really go after these things that you're talking about, uh, have you got something that maybe you'd suggest? Funny you should say that, Steve, because <laughs> yes, I have. Have we got a deal for you? <laughs> so let me just talk about my little books here quick. So this is the big book. This is the one where I try and give a bit of doctrinal and biblical basis for uh, for what we for some of the principles that we've mm. been talking about about here. And really, Redemptive Family is based around four big ideas, that we're a family in a place on a mission together. Mm. And so four simple ideas and um, yeah, and how I wrote a whole fat book about that, I just don't know. <laughs> but here's the resource that really could, could possibly help your church. So this is the this is the devotional and workbook. And if you do the Redemptive Family Church series, then everyone in church is going to get one of these, and uh, and in here are five weeks of devotionals, daily devotionals. There's um, there's small group studies. There's a little survey at the end of each week that goes back to your church leadership to tell them what you're thinking. Mm. Um, and of course, there the sermons as well, right? So every, every Sunday, and you know, we've we've even written the sermon scripts for them. You know, Clint. Mm. Yeah. So. The big dream is that at the end of this, you're going to have a church-wide conversation, and this is going to seed that conversation, get everyone speaking the same language, you know, gather around a common cause, a common vision, and over the space of a Friday night and a Saturday morning, perhaps, um, your church might be able to just gather some consensus around what 
what kind of church do we want to be and what are the first steps we're going to take to shape towards shape towards that uh, vision. So many churches have done have done this now. It's been quite transformative of some of them. Mm. And uh, I certainly recommend that you check it out. Go to redemptivefamily.org and, uh, yeah, drop us a line. We'd love to be in touch. Uh, definitely do that, redemptivefamily.org. And um, I can overwhelmingly endorse that as well. Our church is going through that. Um, I've been involved with Howard and the team, Love Your Neighbour team, and a couple of other churches they've done that with, and it is just fantastic. It's great information, so definitely check it out. Uh, well, hey, thanks, Clint. Um, I've loved listening to you guys talk about discipleship and small groups and how important that is and how it impacts the church, and I'm sure there's been a lot of encouraging information for people listening in too. So, yeah, again, once again, thank you so much for joining us, uh, oh, coming up from Christchurch. Yeah, absolute the big pleasure. Yeah, from the beautiful you. city. Yeah. A uh, real joy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. yeah, no, I appreciate your input, and I'm sure, you, it's, yeah, it has been a huge encouragement for those listening in. Uh, Love Your Neighbour have put together a little gift for you. It is um, it's one of these uh, fantastic redemptive oh, wow. family mugs. It's got your name on it and some other, some other goodies <laughs> in there. Amazing. So. Wow, thank you. <laughs> Just something to slip in your, uh, in your luggage on the way yes. back on the plane. Brilliant. But no, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for time. Uh, it's been fantastic. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we've been talking about a model and a vision for church that, you know, maybe you're listening in and thinking, gosh, I'm really excited about that. But, you know, the way the sort of how our church is at the moment, the norm or our current reality, I just can't see that happening. (laughs) What do you do? Well, next week, we're going to be talking about maybe some of the the necessary cultural changes that we need to make. Now, I know change, you might be thinking, not everybody likes change. But, you know, there are some things that we... You know, that that saying, if we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to keep getting what we've always got. And if what you're doing just isn't working, sometimes it might be best to stand back and say, look, what can we change? What can we do? Some of these guys have been talking about uh, this week and over previous weeks that can really set your church uh, on fire or give it some rails to run on that will really see your church thrive. And I know that's that's our heart. That's the Love Your Neighbour team heart. All of the special guests that we've had on this podcast this week, that is their heart to mm. see your church thriving. Yes. So please join us next week. If you haven't listened to the episodes that have gone before this, go and check those out too, because we want to encourage you that wherever you are at your church, you can be going hard for God and uh, making a difference and impacting lives of others. Yes. So I look forward to uh, seeing you in the next episode. Redemptive Family is a podcast by Love Your Neighbor, recorded by Campfire Studios and produced by Toby Palmer. Our intro music is Jazz Brunch and outro music is Carpe Dam, both by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Our ad music is Chiefs by Jazzar, J-A-H-Z-Z-A-R. It can be found at freemusicarchive.org. Special thanks to our guest Clint Usher and host Steve Hooper from Family Life. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and leave a review. We always love reading them. And lastly, for more episodes, resources and hope, head to www.redemptivefamily.org. See you there.